Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Ron Brown. Now, Ron Brown is an archery enthusiast, and he sees everything from his whitetail stand. I mean, it's insane the amount of animals that walk right under him, the videos that he's got. And I guess that's what you get when you're hunting the front range of the Rocky Mountains in Canada. So I'm really excited about this episode. I will let you know that in this episode, there is a ton of audio issues. I had like a serious malfunction of my of my podcast board out of nowhere, and it completely reset, went to my my computer microphone and speakers and all of that. And so near the end of this episode, it gets pretty crazy, although you can still hear all the content, which is a good thing if you can get past the low audio quality on my end, uh, continue to listen, and there's some good stuff in there for you. So let's jump into this episode with Ron. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I have got, actually, this is two days in a row that I've had someone from Canada on the show. I mean, totally different parts. Yesterday was Ontario and Southern Ontario at that. So uh, far from where you're at, Ron, but Ron Brown is joining me from Alberta. And I'm really excited for this episode because we've been sitting here talking for 10, 15 minutes and just hearing a few of the stories, a few of the things that you get out and hunt. I'm pretty pumped to talk. So uh, Ron, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, no problem. Like say, uh, I'm uh, just a fellow that likes to hunt and been doing it for uh, a long time. And always enjoyed it really enjoy the archery piece that's been my uh my gig for the last few years since my kids got a little older um don't really um still pick up the rifle once in a while when it's getting close to the end of the season or i'm competing against all those rifle guys it gets a little hard to uh, make it happen so in november i tend to pick up the gun and maybe uh, get it done so nice so why don't, why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe hunting history, like you mentioned, you recently got into archery, but uh, what did hunting look like for you in the early days and how has that kind of progressed over time? Well, I think I started uh, when I was a kid, we grew up on an acreage, uh, not too far from the major city. So pellet guns, you know. I think I, I remember hearing you talking about shooting songbirds in the yard. Well, it <laughs> uh, might have been me too. <laughs> I, I'm pleading the fifth on that one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, basically, I, I think I went as far as shooting flowers or, or shooting bees off my mom's flowers at one point there. Just uh, my mom had these questions about why there was holes in some of the flowers. and <laughs> So, I mean, I was basically just experimenting with you know, getting on target and shooting things. Yeah. Uh, graduated up to 22s and shooting ground squirrels. Basically there was lots of ground squirrels where I lived. Um, and then 
as a kid started into uh, trapping and doing stuff like that outdoorsy. Like my, my parents were both from pretty, um, I guess, outdoor families, you know, farming based, um, some of them remote where, uh, you know, farming was, or sorry, hunting was a way of life to supplement your, your, I guess, freezer, your food for the year. Yeah. And I continued with that uh, until I had some kids. My kids were young. I kind of took a bit of a break. Um, and I lived in an area where I, I only uh, uh, rifle hunted because, you know, it was a pretty adequate season. Uh, we could start shooting animals or, or hunting in mid-September, basically. And we had uh, lots of time to make it happen until the end of November, basically. Jeez. So when I relocated in, actually it was 2001, I moved down to where I live now, which is about three and a half hours south of there. Um, and I, I was sitting on the porch basically in September, listening to the elk bugle on the property that I lived on. My father-in-law had a core section of land and there was three creeks that kind of traversed in there and alfalfa fields surrounded it. So it was a natural bedding area and kind of the elk were there. Uh, you know, the wildlife was there and I'd be sitting there cooking a steak or something like that. And I'd hear an elk bugle and it's like, what do you mean? I can't hunt until November. <laughs> so the natural thing was to, I guess the first bow I had was an old York. It was a loner, um, probably like an eighties, mid eighties version, like cables were metal, uh, you know, string was, but just an antique 50 inches long end end and trying to walk through the bush there it was not very convenient uh graduated up to you know get a upgraded my equipment started having some successes because it was difficult to make it happen uh you know there's a real learning curve to that archery uh hunting and uh got my first elk which was a cow um in alberta you can hunt elk uh male or female in a lot of zones there's some zones where it's specific uh, might be a six point zone but typically it's a cow or a three-point or better bull okay so um you know there's there's a little bit of regulations around it enjoyed the archery hunting still picked up the rifle because we had some kids that were uh, living at home and we needed to make sure that the freezer had uh, lots of meat in there blended family lots of kids so we uh had to supplement that um, other than that, I, I kind of live right now in a small town, about 10,000 people. Uh, there's lots of rivers. We're not very far from the mountains. We're about an hour and a half by road from, uh, the east side of the Rocky mountains, uh, right where the boreal forest, if you're heading, uh, north, you hit the boreal forest and to the south and east is kind of farmland. So it's pretty, it's a pretty good little area because with all the, I guess, intermingling of those different terrains, it, it's pretty game rich, honestly. Yeah. Like you can hunt moose, elk, mule deer, white-tailed deer, bears, <clears throat> cougars. Uh, the area that I hunt now currently, like I said, it's, it's a zone where rifle hunting is only from November 1st till November 30th. So I can start archery hunting September 1st. Yeah. Uh, last year I got my elk on September 2nd, first hunt of the 
of the year. Oh, Walked man. under the bush, called in a bull, got it done. It was it was actually so we work in Celsius. So it was plus twenty seven, I think, when I killed that bull, and that would have been probably right around ninety. <laughs> right, so it was actually pretty warm. I had to get it in the freezer quick um, or in the cooler right, right away. But uh, you know. Canada's an interesting place. Alberta is a really interesting place to live because there's such a, a variety of game that you can pursue. Um, I, I got a draw tag for pronghorn a few years back in 2017. Went down there and uh, actually killed a stud. I got an 80 and four eights with archery equipment. Um, and that, like say, that was about four and a half hours drive south of us uh, alberta's huge right like i mean it's just a little bit smaller than texas oh man when you when you actually look at it so it's a pretty big place but i've uh really enjoyed the archery bit like say now that the kids are grown i don't need to worry about um keeping the freezer as full they still come to me with their hands out every year <laughs> looking for pepperoni and garlic sausage yeah but uh you know, they, they, they all have their own jobs. They, they buy groceries, but, uh, I do try to, you know, make sure there's a little bit of pepperoni or, or something I can share from the, the harvest. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's not as big a deal. If I, if I don't get a deer, I, I try to target an animal that maybe is a little bit more mature. Um, I typically hunt deer and, and elk. I, I buy a moose tag every year because it's an, uh, there's a specific time I can hunt from basically that, like, I'll give you a little bit more background. So north of town is that September, like within 15 minutes of my door is that September 17th, you can hunt with a rifle. Okay. But as soon as I go south of the river, I'm actually in that November 1st rifle season. So I prefer to hunt with a bow so i stick to the uh to the bow area zones it's just yeah there's less pressure i'm only an hour and a half from uh, a major center so we get a lot of pressure from uh the big city hunters that come out every weekend and they just bomb down the roads uh you know pollute the area the animals get pushed back into the corners of everything far away from the roads and the hunt's that much harder so yeah I stick to the archery zone and have a little more relaxed, quiet time while well, I'm sitting in the tree stand or, or walking around, uh, trying to call in and out. It sounds like so. you got to figure it out. If I mean, season opened September 1st and you went out September 2nd and got it done. <laughs> well, you, it's kind of funny because experience. honestly, yeah, honestly, uh, it's never been like that. I usually do a lot of bow hiking. We call it, uh, we call it <laughs> hunting, but it's really just hiking around with a bow over your shoulder. Um, you know, you get a lot of exercise. Um, I'm not a young guy anymore. So I really rely on that, uh, that little bit of activity every year to kind of help me maintain my physical fitness. And last year I didn't get my exercise. I, <laughs> you know, I went from elk hunting to climbing into a tree stand and sitting there for a whitetail. And, uh, I wish the whitetail were as cooperative this, this last year, but they weren't. I've killed some decent ones. I've got three Pope and Young. So, uh, in 2021, I killed a 131 inch, uh, whitetail with a bow, you know, 25 yard shot out of a tree stand that I set up a few years ago. 
in 20, I think the first time I got a Pope and Young was 2015. I, I shot 145 and zero eights with a bow. Jeez. My buddy had passed it the day before and he said, yeah, I got a pretty nice white tail. I let it go. And uh, <laughs> so I came and sat with him and I killed it the next day. Um, and then a few years later in 2017, again, I actually killed uh, a 151 inch with a bow. I sat on the edge of the field the day before, patterned him, watched where he came out of the bush. And I, the next day I went up, set up a ladder stand and he literally came out 10 yards in front of me and I killed him. Like, like he came out on the same trail. So it's like, jeez, that's why I like archery hunting. You know, you just, they're not pressured. Yep. They're a little more naive. Um, and if you can get in on them, pattern them like that, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, bow hunting's for me. Bow hunting's where it's at. Like I don't get me wrong, I still carry a rifle. I still do a lot of different rifle seasons, but the more and more I hunt, the more I just fall in love with bow hunting. I didn't actually get out. I don't think I hunted for myself a single day here in Missouri with my rifle. Um, I took my son out, but every every hunt that I did this year was with my bow. And even looking forward to turkey hunting coming up here soon, I think I'm going to try to specifically target a turkey with my bow this year. I've never done that before. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I'd love to do that. Uh, so in Alberta, there is only a very small area in southwestern Alberta, basically up against Montana and British Columbia to the west, where we have a population of huntable turkeys. And it's actually about a 12-year draw tag. Jeez, twelve year draw. <laughs> might tag be longer for than a that. Turkey. It might be longer than that because a lot of people are after that tag. I, I think I'm a priority twelve or thirteen, so it, basically you get priority points every year. Okay. And eventually, same thing as moose. If you're a rifle hunter, uh, depending on the zone, you can go to some of the far north zones and you can get drawn every year or every two. Um, but if you're hunting in the more popular zones, it can take you five, six, seven, eight years to get a draw tag for a moose, right? Oh, man. Whereas the archery tag uh, in some of those zones, you can buy that tag every year and you can hunt from basically that August 25th to September 22nd or 23rd. I can't recall the exact date. And that's archery, like straight up. Yeah. If you see one with a bow, you can take it um, if you can get close enough obviously yeah a moose i mean five to six years that doesn't seem like anything and then obviously the the over-the-counter option with a bow that would be incredible because i don't think there's anywhere here in the u.s that you can get an over-the-counter moose tag i think every single moose tag that you get here is a draw tag uh maybe with the exception of alaska but I think I every say, other state, yeah. every one of the lower 48, I think you have to draw. And most of them take a long time, like 15, 16 plus years. Yeah. Yeah, no, I actually, where I was hunting this last fall, I was sitting waiting for a whitetail. I actually had three legal bulls. I had them at like 30 feet, 10 yards from my tree stand, two of them. I saw that it's on like, your Instagram. I was like, is he white? <laughs> yeah. He's got to be whitetail hunting. And these moose, I was that, up has got, that is a wild way. I can't imagine there's a lot of people who have shot a moose with their bow from a tree stand. 
but that would be pretty no pretty most guys unique. do it on the ground yeah yeah but i mean it, it's kind of funny because uh the farmer was pulling bales while i was sitting in the tree stand he was actually dry he had a tractor trailer out there and then uh you know john deere with a, a a fork on it he was loading bales and the moose could care less that he was there and uh they were watching me watch the moose and i i ran into the farmer because i got permission there the next day and he said yeah we figured you didn't have a moose tag because, <laughs> <laughs> because they were just feeding all around me i had uh like i said five or six cow calf pairs and uh I think I counted 11 moose in the field that night. Oh so my gosh. It was crazy. It, it It's a nice little piece of land. There's It's alfalfa right on the edge of a, basically a, a pothole lake. So, I mean, that lake, it's not farmable, obviously. The farmers just let it be. And it, it just, it's a natural magnet in that farmland area for all the moose in the area to kind of congregate there. And of course it was the rut for the moose rut there. It yeah. Was, probably last week of September, first week of October was just crazy. Um, like they were pretty vocal. You could hear them in the bush behind me. Um, the bad thing was, is that the deer were coming from the, across the road. So across the County road, and it was probably 400 yards to the tree line where I was sitting and they would never get close before I'd lose light. Yeah. But uh, there was a dandy in there. I bet you he was close to 160 inches. I was, waiting for him you know i passed a few younger deer i had one 10 point like he five by five i don't think he would have been more than 140 inches but i passed him because i had that one deer in mind yeah i had come rifle season I actually hunted for a, a week with my bow in the rifle season hoping he'd come by i kept the rifle in the tree with me in case he came out at 250 yards i probably would have dumped him yeah but uh I didn't see him once rifle season started. So I thought, oh, maybe some road hunter got him. So I gave it a week and then I went to the other side of the field and took my number two. He was a five by four. He's probably, I'm going to say he's 135, 140 inches. Nice, mature deer, heavy yeah. antlers, but well, just, it's one of those things, you know, oh, uh, that's the other thing about the hunt in the farmland. Um, the farmers and everybody get to know what's moving. Like, you're hunting that last week of archery season and all the rifle guys are prepping for the next week. So they're driving around like crazy with binoculars. Like, I mean, the roads are just covered with people cruising, yeah. looking for, looking for bucks. Right. So, man, but I think it is what it is. Sometimes that works to your benefit is they, they bust the deer from the edge of the road and push them closer to you. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead and stop on that side well it's 400 yards from me just push it my way no yeah, i was gonna say typically trying to get on that on that buck it would have been awesome if you could just have had like a uh a moose a moose decoy or something to carry with like to walk towards the the buck and he'd probably be like oh i see these moose out here every day but uh to close the distance and then i was thinking well no those moose are pretty aggressive and territorial during the rut i don't know that i'd want to be on the they are absolutely <laughs> yeah the deer definitely gave them some uh, space yeah at that time of the year you could tell that uh the moose weren't you know they weren't feeling it, let's say that yeah. they, if you weren't uh, another moose or a female moose even i i remember watching two female moose were fighting over a bull like the one was just mad as heck 
chasing this other cow off every time. So it's like, I don't know. It's almost like, uh, you know, women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I've had that problem before having to fight over me. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I totally get that too. I guess that was a stretch. (laughs) Every man's dream, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Dang. So, I mean, that's just, it, it, it's crazy to think about being up in a tree stand and having a field where you've got moose and whitetail all in one spot. I mean, are you getting mule deer right there and elk coming down also? Uh, actually, I, the one night I did have a herd of elk come in um, right at last light, but uh, they weren't, so they're pretty sought after uh, the locals chase them pretty hard Okay, uh, because you can take a cower bull. So even the archery guys are out there trying to make it happen. And the elk, because it's farmland, they congregate and then into areas and they tend to find a spot where maybe the landowner isn't so, you know, happy to let hunters on. Yeah. Or maybe they got family and, and they're rifle hunters and they just, no, we don't let anybody hunt in there until, uh, till rifle season. And then they go in there and they take their bull and they could care less. So that's what happens when, when rifle season's open, the cows, you're not allowed to take a cow anymore. You have to take a bull, three-pointer better. Okay. So it's only an archery, uh, you can take a cow or an antelope. You can take a calf if you want to, but, but yeah, it, they get pushed pretty hard. And uh, if, if they're not on a spot where people can, or if they are at a spot where people can access them, they won't be there for long. They'll get pushed out. Yeah. So, you know, it's, they tend to stay on the move. Um, so, but yeah, the mule deer were actually a couple miles east of me. Like I had a field that I was hunting. I had some pretty good deer there. They were probably like, because of the farmland in the area, it's a draw tag for rifle that usually takes five years. But in archery season, you take a door or a buck and 140 145 inches kind of average for a mule deer in there. There was a fella that took a, a, a slammer out there this year. I think it was 170 plus. Jeez. But that's nothing compared. You go you go a few hours south in Alberta towards Badlands. And uh, it's just like hunting Montana, right? It's yeah. like the yeah. muleys get bigger. They get wider because there's no trees. So their their antlers tend to grow. It's, it's funny how the, the landscape makes the animals grow in a certain way right yeah definitely uh, is. you know the white tails um farmland white tails obviously are bigger uh the elk seem to have tighter racks in the farmland just because hmm. they're uh or sorry in the bush because they got to walk through the trees it seems like genetically they just grow a little bit different um a couple of years ago i think 2019 uh world record non-typical archery elk was taken probably about four hours east of me. Um, I think it's 449 inches and change. World record mule deer was killed probably about an hour south of me, 355 and change. And that was actually killed in like, you know, probably 75, 80 years ago. Right. All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now, I went down there with Rogue Texan Outfitters, and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night 
and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling. So if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. We got, we got some, we got some animals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just seeing like the different TV shows from Canada. I mean, there's, there's plenty of TV shows where they're killing monster bucks, whether it be whitetail or, or mule deer every single year. But then yeah, to think about the elk up there, everything, even in the, even in the States, you can see that progress as you go from the Southern States, say, Florida and Texas and Arizona, and you work your way up as you go farther north, the animals are just bigger, both antler wise and body wise. And then it makes sense for that progression to naturally continue up through Canada. But seeing the body size on some of those whitetail that are killed up there, I'm like, are you sure that's it? Do whitetail breed with elk? Because that looks like a whitetail elk hybrid. <laughs> I mean, the bodies are huge. No, uh, totally. Like, uh, I've killed some whitetails that were probably on the hoof. I would guess they'd be like 260, 270. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you get them dressed and hanging on the hoof there with the hide on, they're probably still close to 180 or 190 pounds. But, uh, you know, it's all it's all you can do to get them hung up on the, on the meat hook without, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, a come along and some, you know, or maybe a, a buddy named Bubba. Right. <laughs> yeah. A buddy named Bubba, somebody with a tractor or a forklift. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. they get, they get challenging. We've had people come up to Wisconsin and hunt with us and, and they've seen some of the whitetails up there and they might be coming from a Southern state, Illinois or uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, something like that. And they come up and they're like, dude, these deer are huge. And I'm like, that's just, that's just a yearling doe. Like that's not even a big deer. You know, that's going to be the smallest one you shoot out here. And I mean, we've, we've killed some up there. I, I wish we had taken, uh, kept record all throughout the years of all the animals that we've killed in our family. Cause we used to go to the corner store, just the, the gas station right down the street and get them weighed. They had a scale out there and everybody, I mean, it was a big tradition. Everyone used to do that type of stuff and now it's all electronic and nobody does it anymore. But to, to look back and see how, how big some of the, uh, deer were and how much they weighed i feel like would be kind of cool yeah no absolutely i mean you get an elk they're probably you know cow's going to be between 500 and maybe 650 on the hoof you know you get a bull he can be up to 900 maybe even a little better and then you get a moose and you pop a thousand pounds right but yeah yeah it's it's pretty crazy like i mean they're they're just massive animals, right? So, so, and I think, I think, uh, you know, probably, uh, like I'd mentioned when we were having our little chat before, the fact that it, it's so cold up here, the animals have to have body mass just to stay alive. I mean, they got to have that calorie reserve or whatever it is, you know, be able to sustain themselves. Cause I, I mentioned to you, you know, we use the centigrade scale here 
Uh, today, it's minus 29 Celsius, which works out to be about minus 20 Fahrenheit. Uh, with the wind chill, I think I read minus 37 was our wind chill, which works out to minus 34.6 Fahrenheit today. And I mean, it's, Jeez. you know, it's almost noon and it's still cold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our, our day, our light fluctuates so much. I mean, they talk about you go to Alaska and, and there's no, there's no sundown in the summer. Yeah. So for us, we'll have uh, daylight through till past 11 o'clock uh, where I live. The farther north you go, the longer it stays light. And then the uh, sun will be rising by like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. You can see that glow off in the east. Um, you know, in winter, so great in hunting season, we actually follow daylight savings time here. So it's kind of funny, uh, comes around to, you know, uh, Halloween, basically one day you're hunting until five 30 at night, the next day it's four 30 and you've got to, you're done. Right. So, I mean, Jeez. the guys that are maybe trying to get a half hour or 45 minute road hunt in at the end of the day, work day, just all of a sudden, nope. Now you got to wait till Saturday and Sunday. Right? Oh, so, man. But when we start hunting in September, you know, it's light till 930. We'll, we'll be out there in the tree stand late. And then, you know, by October, it's like 730 November. Like I said, it's 530. And it's just, we lose two or three minutes on the each end of the day, every day wow. uh, as the fall progresses. But it's, it's pretty, pretty frustrating to be honest <laughs> with you. Because, I mean guy likes to be out there um you know getting it done and, and yeah the, the more time you can spend in the tree i, I just enjoy it it's kind of like uh it's just so peaceful and quiet i i bear baited for a long time here in alberta too i did actually probably for about 13 or 14 years i i ran baits and uh, i didn't always hunt a bear you know i would basically run the bait put the cameras up see what would come in and then make a decision about whether I would actually hunt. Okay. I ended up taking four bears myself personally. I got a really, really nice color phase back in 2015. And, uh, but I actually mentored, like I was involved with my local fishing game club, significantly did junior archery training. So the kids that were of age where they could start hunting, we would uh, basically, I'd say, if you can pull 50 pounds, and you want to come hunt a bear, I've got some bears on the bait. You come sit. And I actually helped three kids uh, get their first archery kills with a bow. That's cool. Uh, all taking black bears. I mean, you'd be sitting in the tree stand. And I remember sitting myself one time and having seven bears around below me. But, <laughs> you know, all, it was basically end of May. So, I mean, there was a boar and a sow and a boar and a sow and a boar. And so, and then there was a solo boar because they pair off, right? Yeah. But. There was no dominant boar, so I didn't want to hunt, but I let somebody else, you know, come in and make a play on one. So, and yeah, you know, like they got some breakfast sausage and a really nice rug or, or if they want to do a mount, they could, whatever they want to do. You have, you have to take the hide. You don't have to take the meat in Alberta when you hunt bears. Okay. And um, that would be so wild to just have a bunch of, I mean, like having deer, under my stand is is exciting to have like a bear or even wolves like to have some type of predator even even though you know they're not preying on people typically they're typically not even attacking people but to have something that big 
that has teeth and claws <laughs> right underneath my sand, not to mention the fact that they can climb those trees. Uh, those videos always crack me up when the guy's sitting there hunting and a bear climbs up his tree and he's like almost kicking it like, Hey, get down, get down, get out of here. And of course you guys up in yeah. Canada are so polite. You're like saying please to the bear. <laughs> I'd be like, get out of here. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's funny because I remember, uh, walking up to one of my barrels one time, one of my first bear baits and it was laying down. So I, I thought, okay, bear knocked it over. It's empty. I'm walking up there with, I used to use stale bread. So I'd walk up with bags of bread in my hand. And, uh, when I got to the barrel, there was a young bear with his head stuck in the hole, right? And he was actually there. Like he, he was maybe a 150 pound bear, but I mean, he saw me at the same time and his hair head popped out of that barrel, like a cork just, thunk, and he took <laughs> off one way and I took off the other because I was still pretty, uh, pretty green to that bear hunting thing. And I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. we've actually, so the area that I hunt, we have never, we haven't had grizzly bears there for probably over a hundred years. Wow. But recently they shut down the grizzly bear hunt in Alberta, probably about, I'm going to say at least a dozen years ago, maybe 15. And, uh, the bears are actually expanding quite a bit hmm. and a dominant grizzly bear boar will not tolerate another boar. So they actually spread. So we've actually got where I hunt there. I know there was a big sow and she had twins and that was three years ago. So those twins are now two grown bears. Jeez. And I mean, there's grizzly bears where we haven't seen grizzly bears for a long time and they still won't open up the hunt. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to get eaten before, before they decide to do something about the number of grizzly bears that are showing up. Same thing with uh, mountain lions like cougars. We've, you know, um, I, I live on a, on the edge of a green zone right in town. And I have mule deer walk down my street every day in the winter. Uh, in the summer, we get reports of bears raiding gardens on the edge of the green, green zone. They're eating apples out of apple trees. They're, they're in people's fruit patches and, and, uh, we had some cougars, uh, seen in town as well up a few years back. So we got a Tim Hortons. That's kind of like, uh, the coffee place in Canada, right? Okay. So it's, um, I'm trying to think Starbucks, it's equated to Starbucks, right? Okay. So there's a, it's in between, um, there's a major, two major access points to the lower part of town. The Tim Hortons is in the middle of that and the highway runs right beside it. And a fellas, I don't know, he was traveling. He stopped and he was walking his dog over uh, along the edge of the bush by the Tim Hortons and a cougar actually came out and grabbed his dog. And that's in town. Jeez. And he, he literally had to punch it and it let go of his dog. <sighs> but yeah, like, I mean, there's cougars in town. Yeah. So. <laughs> You roll your window down real quick and right back up at a drive through just in case. Man, that's that's wild. <laughs> yeah, no, like I say, it's a small town, 10,000 people. Um, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it on uh, other than the pre-interview there, but seven and a half hours roughly north of uh, Montana is where I okay. live. Um, um, like I say, just east of the Rockies, about an hour so. It's a beautiful place, but, uh, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're, 
your number one and number two passions are basically whitetail and elk. Is that right? Yeah, that's typically what I pursue with the most passion every year. Okay. I do buy the uh, the muley tag because it's an incidental archery tag. I can take a muley with my bow. Uh, so I buy that and the moose tag just in case I'm like, I'm actually an outside salesperson, industrial sales guy. Okay. So I travel a lot. So I get a lot of scouting in, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's nothing for me to drive four, five, six hours a day. Uh, so I get to see where the game's hanging out. I'll throw cameras up occasionally and come back and check them a month later. Um, you know, and yeah, just it's part of what I do when I'm, you know, in my personal life. I everybody knows me at work. That, yeah, come September, Ron's going to be hunting. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> right? But uh, That's yeah, cool. no. I, we uh, what is it like in your area? I mean, is that pretty typical? Like whitetail and elk are king around there, or? Um, you know, are, are more people focused on mule deer, on moose? What is, what is the hunting culture like there in your town? Uh, so yeah, typically, um, so there's a lot of moose hunting that happens, but it is a draw tag, uh, for rifle hunters. Yeah. So it takes a few years to get a draw tag, but there's, you know, enough, there's a quota for animals that were taken. So every year somebody gets hunt moose, right? It's not like they don't, they just shut it down. Yeah. But I mean, so for instance, uh, like say between the moose there, there's elk, which is another one that's pretty, pretty sought after. And then whitetails, uh, typically the mule deer is a little more for the Southern areas. Yeah. Although some of the bigger ones are taken, uh, further North, but those are draw tags. They take, you know, eight to 10 years to get in those zones because the animals are known to be big. Um, so there's a, you know, you can go to a place where maybe the draw is not quite as active and draw a tag sooner, but the quality of animals is going to be less. Right. Yeah. So is, but is, the archery really gives, opens the door. Oh yeah. Cause the archery, it doesn't in every zone. Like I say, every zone is different. Um, so you can hunt in some zones with a general tag, buck or doe. We're talking about mule deer. Whereas other zones, it's like straight up draw. You have to have a draw to hunt, even with an archery. All right, guys, I'm excited to introduce the new age of accessing private property for hunting and fishing with Infinite Outdoors. I joined the Infinite Outdoors crew on a duck hunt in Colorado this fall, and the experience was unmatched. We were able to book the property right on their app, get directions to the blind, and had the whole place to ourselves, all for a super reasonable price. Infinite Outdoors has developed a unique way to combine conservation, technology, and private land access all through their U.S.-built app and website. By working closely with landowners and on-staff biologists, they aim to bring you the best parts of accessing private land at the touch of a finger. They provide adventures for big game, turkeys, waterfowl, fly fishing, upland birds, small game, predators, and more. As yearly leases get more expensive, and secluded public land gets harder to find, I believe this is the way of the future. To check it out for yourself, download the Infinite Outdoors app or visit infiniteoutdoorsusa.com and use code NOMADIC15 for 15% off your annual membership of $39.99.
what does that look like for non-residents? I mean, do you have to be a resident of Alberta or, you know, can you travel there from, from out of state and still potentially get a tag every year for certain species? So just to kind of give you a little bit of an idea. Uh, so we have this thing called a class C guides license. So as a non-resident I can, or as a resident, I can host it's class C or hunter host. Can you still hear me? All right. Yep. I got you. Okay, perfect. So I can actually uh, host a non-resident family member or friend. I think it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's every year, but I think every two years and you can buy the over the counter tags, but you still have to get an Alberta win number. So that's a wildlife identification number. It's basically a plastic card okay. that allows you to get into the draws draw system, uh, allows you to buy your licenses, etc. cetera. Uh, but anyway, um, so if you wanted to get a, 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 an over the counter, I think you can get bears for sure. It gives you two bears and uh, white tail tags. And I think you're allowed to take a buck and two does, but wow. depending on the zone you're hunting. And yeah. uh, that's basically for the non-resident fee without a, without a guide uh, fee. So I think if you're hunting moose, you definitely need an outfitter. Um, unless you get okay. into the to the draws and then you can actually potentially come back in five, six, seven years, whatever it is, and hunt a moose with your with your hunter host if you get drawn. Right. Nice. So I, I believe there's an over the counter elk tag as well, but I can't be sure of that. I'd have to double check that. Um, you know, basically the, the, the bears and the whitetails are pretty open. Mule deer would be a draw tag most likely because most of them are, you know, John Dudley comes up and hunts not far from here. Actually he drives right through town on his way to go North. Oh, sweet. He does that. Yeah, he does that hunt uh, up north by Valley View, Grand Prairie area every year. Um, or he did before COVID. I know that he's been up for a while. But... Man. Yeah. No, it's, that's it's, cool, uh, though, the hunter host concept. You know, I, I know in certain places uh, like Alaska, if, if you go up with an immediate family member, it you know, you can, you can legally go and hunt with them, but as far as just being a hunter host, so it's not necessarily a guide, but more of like a chaperone while you go up there and hunt. I like that idea. I like that concept a lot better than having to be. You do have to have, you do have to have proof of a hunter training certificate though. Oh, so I mean, keep that in mind, right? Like, I mean, they need to see that you are, um, I guess a safe hunter. That's the one stipulation to that. Yeah. So, I mean, wherever the jurisdiction that you hunt in currently, as long as you have your hunter training, you'd be good to uh, basically get in involved in hunting in Alberta. Okay. Like say there, there is some, some stipulations where you have to use a, an outfitter and then the cost is going to be significant, but um, I've actually offered, I actually did actually do a hunter host for bears with uh, a buddy of mine because he, he, he actually was an official wildlife officer and he was looking for a, an additional host because he had a family coming up from Florida that he had basically swapped gator hunts with gators oh. for bears. Right. <laughs> That's so, a pretty awesome uh, swap. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I'd probably, uh, 
be lined up to do some turkey hunting if uh if somebody wanted a bear hunt i'd probably be able to make that happen oh <laughs> hey hey listen there's not a lot that i would rather trade than a turkey hunt because i i turkey hunt and like you said i mean you've listened long enough i am not a diehard turkey hunter i have been getting pretty excited about it this year but i would swap a turkey hunt for just about any other type of hunt i mean <laughs> i'd swap a turkey hunt for a good squirrel or rabbit hunt yeah no it, it's because of that like i i'm that to british columbia i can hunt that with a small game license over there and they have a lot more of them so i mean okay to travel away from Alberta to do it. But, uh, you know, I would, uh, almost want to have somebody with me that knew where I was allowed to hunt because you go there and there is this, the zone that I checked out, there's pulp mills and some certain, I guess, road courier corridor, non hunting areas that if you, if you're not familiar with the area, you can get yourself into trouble. Right. So yeah, I would almost prefer to do it with, with somebody that knew the area kind of thing so yeah but yeah no the bears is the bears is fun lots of guys do spot and stalk some guys do the bait thing um you know come may there you can hunt till uh i believe june 15 in uh some of the zones north of town here you got to watch for you know coat deteriorates after it starts to warm up you know we'll get you know high 70s 80s in late may beginning of june it's it's warming up and they're, they're rubbing their coats so they they tend to start showing you know rubbing the hair off and showing a lot of skin so you want a, a good quality coat if you're going to come up for a, a rug or something like that right so. yeah all right do you do they allow uh hound hunting for for barren mountain lion up there for mountain lion yes and that's a winter hunt it's usually from december till february uh, but not for bears. You go to BC, you can hunt bears with dogs. Okay. So British Columbia is yeah. with BC, right? Yeah. So that's west of us on, uh, along the coast or on the other side of the Rockies. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I don't have any, but, uh, the more, the more I hunt with dogs, the more I want to own a lot of dogs for different types of hunts because, I don't know why there's just something about it, you know, like hunting over bait. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I've done it. I, I will do it again. Uh, but there's something about like spot and stock hunting. That's really kind of gripped me lately. I still sit in the tree stand every year with my bow trying to shoot a big whitetail. Um, I'll forever do that. But for some reason, just like being on foot, the closer to the level that the animal is, I feel like the more adrenaline I get, the more exciting the hunt is. And then obviously if you're actually pursuing them, like chasing them down with dogs or um, tracking them through the snow, for some reason, the more primitive well, method the only, you hunt, the, the more exciting it is to me. So we're not, we're not allowed to use dogs for in any way for hunting other than the cougars okay. um, in Alberta. Uh, bait you can't bait anything except for bears um and feral hogs actually we, we do have uh, feral hogs up here believe it or not dang really they're they're the eurasian variety so they're the big russian boars um 
they're starting to become a little bit of a problem. I've been hunting for about 20 years um, just because when I moved down here, we were too far from a, uh, a fellow that was farming them and his fences weren't the greatest and pigs, you know, they're famous for getting out of fences, any uh, fences anyway. Yeah. So there's a, a natural, and it's, it's a natural population now, but it never was obviously. Um, but yeah, they're doing quite well in some areas in the province. So is there a management know, plan to take care of those? Cause I mean, I know, I know once you get them, it's very hard to fully eradicate them. But uh, is that something that Fish and Game's working towards up there? Is is trying to take them completely out? Yeah, no, or the, the government's definitely them? after them. Yeah, they, they, they got governments hired trappers to take out sounders. Yeah. Uh, typically, the government folks are saying that hunting actually spreads them. It breaks the sounders and fractures them up, and they become multiple small groups instead of one large group. So it's kind of funny The you know, some landowners are fine with it, you know, some aren't, um, yeah. with the hunting part of it. Um, I, like I said, I've always hunted where I have permission and, and been fine. Um, and it's usually an incidental thing for me. I'm out hunting whitetails and all of a sudden there's a hog. So, uh, you know, you take it, he goes into the, the pepperoni too. It's no big deal. <laughs> so. Man, the fat on those things is a different level. And I would imagine you guys get some really thick pigs up there with a lot of fat on them, uh, especially with well, the Well, actually, they, they're not very fat. They're very lean because I think the, the temperature extremes. And that's that's the thing is that I find the best time to hunt them is when it's super cold, like today would be a great day, or when it's super warm and they got to travel the water. Yeah. Um, so they tend to stay out of sight. They go nocturnal as soon as you shoot at them. There's no hunting a half hour before sunrise or a half hour sunset. There's no such thing as night hunting up here. Okay. Um, you know, so we're, we're pretty confined. So trapping seems to be the best way to deal with the wild hogs. Okay, man, that's interesting. I would have guessed that they were, they had a thick layer of fat up there because of how cold it gets, but um, I wonder if, you know, their fat reserves just don't last very long because they're constantly after having to burn it off, uh, traveling that far from water. I think it's the, I think it's the breed specifically. The Eurasians are actually, uh, less, uh, interbred with domestics. Okay. So actually, and it, their, their meat is very red. It's almost like, uh, elk or deer like, um, and they're wow. lean. Everybody says, oh, bacon. Like, yeah, no, there's no bacon. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I've I've killed a few. You probably see them on my Instagram page. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll, that that's yeah. that's crazy. I uh, I would have guessed the opposite. Well, and what's funny is now thinking about that, the hunt that I went down on uh, to Georgia on, I would have guessed that the pigs down there were going to be pretty lean, but they had more fat than any pigs I've killed up here. Um, and so so maybe it's kind of like a an adverse effect that from what you would normally think um but then again like you said the breeding side of it if if they're more of like a pure eurasian pig versus a domesticated that's been bred with wild hogs uh you know naturally they're probably not going to carry as much fat as as the domestic yeah, that, that seems to be my my take on it anyway they they're super lean uh it could be just the caloric demand because of the weather i mean the uh it's harsh right yeah. so this time of the year when it's minus 30 like it is today 
they'll be moving to feed a lot earlier and they, uh, they need to just to stay alive. Like they go into silage pits, uh, or, or haystacks, or they get into grain bins. I mean, they're a problem this time of year, uh, for the farmers for sure. Yeah. They just, every, everyone I talk to everywhere I look, it seems like there's either a pig problem or they're just started to become a pig problem. And I'm curious to see what's going to happen with it because hearing the guys down in Texas talk about it, especially those Southern states here, they've got the worst of it uh, from what I understand, but the, the billions of dollars of damage in crops and, and vehicle collisions and, um, you know, just, just everything seems to be destroyed or disrupted by these pigs. And I don't know what it's going to take, but there's got to be something drastic that happens in order to solve that problem. There, there's a bit of uh, a bit of that concern up here, but I, like I said, I've been hunting them for a long time and it seems like the population, you know, kind of ebbs and flows based on weather. Uh, you know, this year we have all the farmers got all of their crops in the bins. They're not, there's nothing laying on the fields left there for them to eat. Yeah. So I think it's been a pretty challenging year. So even though the numbers are up because we had a couple of wet falls in the last probably three or four years where there was lots of swaths left, you know, barley fields that got cut, but never got combined, uh, you know, things like that, where there was lots of feed and, you know, maybe that boosted the population numbers. But this year, because everybody got everything into the bins, there's very little feed, I think. And then we've had, this will be the third cold snap where it's been below minus 30. We had one right at the beginning of December, one right, just right after, right around the new year. And uh, now we're having this one and it's hard on the population, not only the the feral animals, but we get a lot of deer winter killed too, right? So, uh, you know, coyote numbers, the deer, the coyotes are fed well as well because the deer, you know, they, they take a bit of a hit when it gets cold like this to stress on them. Right. So. Yeah. I would imagine, especially thaw. right after, right after the rut, that's gotta be yeah. a double-edged sword, you know, lo- losing all of that weight during the rut, chasing does around, fighting off other bucks. And then you get hit with severe cold yeah. like that. I can see the, that. The thing that, that I think is harder on them up here is you get that thaw. Like we, we actually have some days where it's, you know, the snow's melting. It's, it's a beautiful day. Like you can, for us, you can run around in a, in a light sweater, whereas, you know, probably you, you'd still be cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the snow melts, you get a crust on it because it freezes again. And then the predators can run on top of that. The deer can't, and they have to paw through that crust to get to their, you know, their food source. Yeah. So they get less um, quality feed or less feed in general. And then the coyotes and everything else can run on top of that crust of snow and run them down. So, you know, it's, I think it's a little harder as the, the winter closes for us, depending on that freeze thaw cycle that we get. And then these cold snaps, right? So, yeah. Man, that's just kind of my take on it anyway, but, uh, no, that makes sense. I mean, it seems like just a wild, wild place to hunt, you know, being that close to the mountains, that close to farmlands and rivers and to have the variety of game, you're kind of in a sportsman's paradise up there. 
we, we actually have some species that you can't hunt. Like we have bison uh, north of me. Uh, um, there's um, mountain caribou to the west, you know, probably within an hour or two of, of home. I'd say two hours. There's mountain caribou, but, but there's no, no season for those. Yeah. You can hunt uh, Rocky Mountain sheep uh, with a draw tag. There's some actually zones that are actually open for rifle hunts, general tags, but you got to, you got to go after them, right? You got to get in there and it's, there's no AT go in versus, but you know, that's a resident thing again, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the variety game is crazy, man. That's you know, yeah. That's insane. Cool place to live. Yeah. Bison, caribou, elk, mule deer, sheep. Oh my goodness. You're, you're getting me excited <laughs> and all I've got coming up in my near future is turkey hunting. So uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this maybe was not the most timely. I, I should have done this right before November when I'm actually heading out to do some of these big hunts. But uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm just going to be dreaming. Maybe this will hold me over until we get after uh, some big game stuff. But Well, Bears is coming up. So, I mean, we can start putting baits out in, uh, I think can put them out the last two weeks of march because i think the season opens april even though there's usually still snow on the ground the bears aren't moving around much but i've had bears on you know when there's lots of snow on the ground they're coming out of their dens they're not going far from their dens but they really need the and they come to the baits because typically they're omnivores so they, they're eating you know clovers and grasses but there's no clover and grass in april not until may yeah right so yeah, I heard yeah. that a, a large majority of a bear's diet actually isn't any type of meat. You know, it's plant-based, and then obviously they'll supplement with rodents, with calves and fawns in the spring, with fish if uh, if there's a big fish run, salmon or trout or whatever. Um, but as far as even grizzlies, uh, I was I was looking at videos of that or maybe I was listening to a podcast about that and it's surprising how much of their diet actually comes from plants. Yeah, absolutely. They're, I would say that 90% of it is plant-based. Uh, you know, people that, that prefer to eat bear, they usually wait for a fall bear because you can hunt them spring and fall, but they've been eating berries all summer. So it's like they're, they're sweet, right? Like they, they yeah. tend to start to taste like the food that you, or whatever they're eating. And, uh, yeah, it's funny because, you know, when we're baiting them in the spring, usually we, like, for instance, we do some ice fishing and we keep all our skins and our fish, fish entrails and whatnot that we put them in a pail and we hang on to them until spring. And then we put them out there to bring the bears in. And, uh, you know, you're feeding them basically waste. Like we use chicken fryer grease and stuff like that. Yeah. Oats or dog food or whatever. And, uh, you're feeding them some not prime food. And uh, it seems like the, the further you get into the season, you know, once the grasses start growing, they're less attracted to boiled food. So you gotta, yeah. you gotta make sure your bait has got some good fur stuff in there or they're not even gonna bother. They're just gonna eat grass. Wow. So it, there's a bit of an art to it. You want it to smell a little bit first thing in the year, bring them in. But when, uh, when it's getting closer to May, when you want the big ones to come around, like typically you get the sows in and then the boars come because yeah. 
that's their breeding season at a beginning of June. And uh, you get a few sows in and then the boars come around. But if you don't have good fresh food, you won't get any bears. Uh, you know, so it, it's there's a bit of a trick to it. See, I, if I was if I was up there, I'd like to do a study. And for one whole year, you know, you feed them a certain type of food. The next year you change it. You know, one year you just do like really sweet food. I know my mom, she she can bait on her property up in Wisconsin and she would go and get like a bunch of old cookies and stuff. Just a lot of sweet treats, donuts, things like that. And I'd be curious side by side if you could take a steak from multiple bears and then based on the flavor or based on the food that they're eating, if how much it changes that flavor of them. Well, I, I know that if I'm if I'm uh, cooking bear myself, it's typically in sausage. But I mean, if I'm going to cook bear, I'll cook it on an open flame. I'm not a fan of the uh, the fat on the bear. Okay. So I like it barbecued on you know charbroiled kind of thing to make sure that it cooks that fat off. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's just my personal preference. Lots of guys like they harvest it just for the for the fat alone, and they'll render the fat. It's supposed to be the best thing for making pastry. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I have almost zero experience bear hunting. I've got a couple tags, zero success, never even seen one while hunting. Um, but it is something that I'd like to do in the future. And I always buy one when I go out to Colorado because you can get an over-the-counter tag um, for the unit that I hunt in or for a lot of the units during second rifle season. So um, who knows? Maybe one day I'll have to try some rendered bear fat and use them in pastries or use them, use it to cook with. That sounds pretty cool. Right. Well, Ron, I appreciate you hopping on, man. This was, this was a really fun conversation. Sorry, for, sorry for the, uh, technical issues, but, uh, before we hop off, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners where they can find you. Cause I'm telling everybody who's listening to this, you got to go on his social media pages and just look at some of the pictures and tell me that's not cool. I mean, moose from a tree stand. There's videos of it. Uh, like you said, the pigs, fish, mule deer, target shooting, everything. He's got it all on his social media pages. So, Ron, where, where can they go and find you? So, uh, I do have a Facebook page, but there's a lot of Ron Browns out there. So, it would be difficult to find me there. But uh, Instagram, it's uh, Ron, uh, Ron Brown 4062 uh, and yeah, that's basically, uh, probably the, the most, I guess the easiest way to catch me is on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, I'm just, uh, out there trying to do my thing. I'm a, I'm a pro staff shooter for a couple of archery companies. So I tend to do the Instagram thing just to support that. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Well, I definitely appreciate it. And We'll have to keep in touch, see how this season goes. And for real, I'm down to swap some turkey tags. I, I will let you know, a non-resident <laughs> turkey license is pretty expensive down here. It's like 224 bucks for a turkey, which I didn't even realize it until this last year when I invited somebody. And then they found out the price and they were like, dude, do you realize how expensive it is? And I was like, nope, I would never pay that much to turkey hunt. So. It depends on how diehard you are about coming and yeah, shooting a turkey. Sometimes it's about the experience, right? So, I mean, you'd have to basically Google the uh, Alberta uh, regulations yourself. I mean, to f find out what the non-resident alien uh, 
tag prices are. But I mean, if you're coming up for a whitetail for a bear, I think bear's pretty pretty affordable. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think my first tag is thirty five bucks, and the second one, like if I I have the option of buying a second tag, but as a non-resident, you automatically get two, right? Nice. So, yeah, and I, I mean, I can I can kill two bears for under sixty dollars Canadian, right? So, jeez, yeah, that'd be a nice problem to have. I mean, it's like that for us here with deer and turkey. I mean, deer's like twenty something bucks. You get a buck, a couple does, turkey. You get two toms uh, in the spring, and then you can shoot toms or hens in the fall. And so resident prices here are great, but I just had no idea that that much, or they charge that much for non-residents for turkey. Cause you can hunt almost every other species in, in Missouri for cheaper than you can hunt turkeys. You get more bang for your buck with your buck up here too. I think it's a dollar 35 right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Keep, keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Well settled turkey for whitetail. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no we can talk about that yeah well sweet man i appreciate it you have a good rest of your day stay warm i mean yeah negative 20 i i'm not i'm not envious of you right now yeah i gotta drive a couple hours to the city here this afternoon so we'll see how that goes nice well thanks man and uh we'll keep in touch you bet take care